we just had a bunch of folks stand up here, and uh, I think it's close to 40 people all put together, right? Uh, we, we added, last year, we added 100 new members, and today we added 40. So praise God. Thank you all for trusting this church, but also for what you're going to contribute and have been contributing to this church. One of the vows, the last line of one of those vows is, and do you join with the people of God in doing the work of the Lord everywhere? Um, <clears throat> today, uh, all around the country, probably at this hour, there are thousands of churches proclaiming God's word. And I want to pray for the proclamation here and pick one particular church uh, that's local here uh, to pray for as well. Um, First Reformed Church is a sister church of ours, and they're going through a uh, transition from their long time, I mean like 28 or 30 years senior pastor, to other leadership. And uh, we just want to be praying for ourselves, but also remembering that we're not in this alone. So would you join me in prayer for this message and for the messages around the country and for First Reformed Church? <clears throat> Lord, give us eyes to see not what we want to see, but what you want us to see. And give us ears to hear so that we hear your word as it goes out. We hear what you want us to hear. Lord, you tell us, and, I, and Lord, my head, it's Isaiah 55, but that the, the word of God goes out and will not return void. It will accomplish that which you sent it to do. Lord, there are churches all around this country that have either already proclaimed the word of God or are proclaiming the word of God right now. And people all around the world hearing what you want us to hear. Lord, I pray that <clears throat> universally you, you make your will known, you show your people your grace, and you begin and continue to, to the work you've already begun in revivals around the world, that you continue those things, that you have them be like brush fires and they spread around the globe. And Lord, this morning we pray for First Reformed Church just down the street. For Pastor Scott, as he's uh, preaching the word today, and for Pastor Tom, who's heading things up, and for all of the anxiety that, that forms around someone that people are comfortable with leaving, Lord, we ask that you bless them, that you multiply all the good work that's been done, <clears throat> and then you carry it on from this day forward. Lord, give me your words. I don't want to say what you don't want me to say. I only want to say what you once said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in Mark 4, and last week at the end of the message, I talked about a passage that I'm not going to preach because I preached it here before, and then I kind of preached it anyway. Um, and there's another parable at the beginning of this chapter that most of us are very familiar with, the parable of the sower. When the, it tells you know, that someone scatters seed and some of it throws, lands on the path, some on rocky soil, some thistles and thorns, and then some on fertile soil. And, and it's all good stuff. Um, but because you're very, most of you, many of you are very familiar with that story. And it's, I think it's self-explanatory. And if you read it, and then the disciples ask Jesus, what did that mean? He explains it. So there's no reason, I'm not saying that it's not worthy of being preached. It's just there's not a, Jesus does a much better job than I would. So I encourage you to read the very first part of, the, of, of Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> but there's three parables right in the middle. Between the mustard seed at the end and the parable of the sower, at the beginning, there's three parables right in the middle. And one of them doesn't get any credit for being a parable. Um, if you look in your Bible, at the beginning at, at verse 21, it says, lamp on a stand. And then at verse 26, it says, parable of the growing seed. But right in between those two, there's a two-sentence parable. 
And I think it's provocative. I think it's, it's powerful. And that's how we're going to end the message. Preparing for communion, we're going to end the message with that two-sentence parable. Uh, I want you to know, though, that the gospel according to Mark, uh, Mark is, is very clever. He, he boils things down so that we only have what we need. Because he wants us to come in contact with Jesus for who he is, what he does, and what he says. And if, if you come in contact with Jesus, just the skeletal structure of it, I mean, just only what you need to know. Mark's gospel is the shortest one. Here, he doesn't, he doesn't elaborate much. He just says that Jesus often starts a parable like this, the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like, or listen close, make sure you're listening closely, or have ears to hear. We're going to hear a couple of those today. But I want you to, the, the thing to keep in mind, especially the second parable that I'm going to read, or the third, the one at the bottom, the lamp on the stand, there's a million ways you can interpret this, depending on who you make the planter. But you always have to read scripture in context. I've quoted Dan Walcott before, a text out of context is a pretext for trouble. So all of these parables tweak the same theme except for the one that's kind of the fulcrum that everything kind of kind of weighs on and that's the one we'll end with today it reads i'll read them all then i'll we'll walk through them <clears throat> he said to them this is jesus do you bring a lamp you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed first of all who would put a lamp a, a, a light a lighted lantern I don't mean the kind with batteries like a coma, but the kind with fire. Who'd put that under a bed? Okay. Instead, don't you put it, put it out on a stand for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Here's the second parable. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. And whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Parable number three. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and it grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. We're going to go backwards. Parable of the planter. You know, back in the fall, we talked through the, the, the book of, the, at least the first seven chapters of the book of Daniel. Because the, at least the pastoral staff was anxious about election season and all that kind of stuff. And it was a two and a half year election cycle. And people were, uh, there's, a, there's a, a kind of an old Scandinavian word, I think it is, called agita. Everyone's kind of like, <laughs> and, and, and there were people, you, and it was very divided. We've seen it, and we still see it today. I mean, today, even after everything's settled, there's a new president in place, there's still this, this, this anger, this, this fingers pointing, this accusations going from both sides in both directions. And we look at it, and we go, how, how, how could God be at work in this? And we, we, get, we get fired up, we get afraid, and we want everyone, I mean, no one argues a point hoping that, or knowing that they're wrong, right? Everyone believes what they're arguing about. Everyone thinks that the other side is evil. Here's what this passage tells us, though, that Jesus was here, and when he was here, he spoke. 
And as he spoke and as he performed miracles and as he sacrificed and he died, he, he, he descended into hell. He was resurrected from the dead. He ascended to the Father. Through all of that work, seed's been scattered. And he's gone for a while. But all by itself, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God grows. First, it germinates. Then it pops through the soil. And then a stalk comes up. And then the, then, the, then the head. And then the kernel within the head. I mean, and then he's coming back. He's going to be the harvester. He's going to bring a sickle to it. He's going to come. And we, we're told in the scriptures that, that pray to the Lord of the harvest. Because the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. And Jesus is time, he uses these terminologies because he's expecting that people will remember one as it blesses and connects with another as it blesses and connects to another. He follows this up with the, the, the parable of the mustard seed, that small little seed that, that goes into the ground. Once it sprouts, you can't get rid of it. It's going to grow. The, the kingdom of God is relentless. And even though we don't see it, even though we don't notice it, even though we're afraid that, that and, there, and there's a whole group of people that want to get God gone. If we can discredit the church, if we can discredit Christ, if we can discredit enough things, then we will have a Godless world. And some, that's their goal. And if we can get God, we think that if we can get God out of, out of, out of public, if we can get God out of different things, then God goes away. See, but that's, a, that's an idea that God isn't real. If God is God and he says what he says and he keeps every promise he's ever made, then the kingdom of God is growing. And you might not know this, but there are revivals all around the world. There are talk in some countries in Africa about sending missionaries to the United States. And part of that feels weird, doesn't it? Like, we don't need any missionaries here. We, can, we got this. But we do. God's not done with us. He's not done with humanity. He's not done with the world as a whole. And he's not done with our particular nation either. And when you watch it, if you watch for the right things, if you watch for the, the kernel of the, the, the grain, pop, the, the stalk popping through the, you saw it this week, we have little tulips starting to pop up in our, right by our walkway. You, it's, it's February. It'll be March next week. It's coming. He's not done. And he promises that it's happening. And we should watch for signs of it instead of only the signs against it. Now, I'm not concerned personally about how you believe politically. I'm not concerned personally about who you voted for or didn't vote for or if you voted at all. So I'm not trying to make a political statement by this, but yesterday in front of 9,000 people on national television on almost every 24-hour news station, the Lord's Prayer was prayed Millions of people heard the word of God go out. Now we think, of, oh, it's, it's a prayer. It's just a prayer. It's scripture. That's a sign that God's not done with us. Let's be, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the person who prayed it, but the fact that the word of God went out, it will not return void. So let us not be discouraged. And if you're losing hope, hang on to someone that has hope. Don't be afraid because Jesus tells us that even though he was here and he scattered seed when he was walking this planet, the kingdom of God, you notice it says the kingdom of God is like this. this. Let me tell you about what the kingdom of God is like. It's not going away. And no matter, whether, no matter whether we see it working and growing or not, it is. Because he's never broken a promise. 
He's never left something that he said would be fulfilled unfulfilled. We have all kinds of prophecies and promises in the Old Testament, and many of them were fulfilled in the person of Jesus when he came as the Lamb of God. But not all of them are fulfilled, but all of them will be. He came as the Lamb. He's returning as the Lion. He's coming as a harvester. He's coming to reap the fruit of the work that he's done. And we get to choose to participate in that or to deny it's happening or to go, eh, Now, do you believe that Jesus wants us to have an attitude toward his work, what he's doing, whether we notice it or not? Do you think he wants an attitude like, eh, eh? Let's go back up to the top of these passages. You bring a lamp. You bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed. Instead, don't you put it up on a stand for whatever is hidden is meant to be revealed, disclosed, and whatever is, is, is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, there's three different levels going on here. There's personal, there's universal, and there's evil and good. If there's something evil in the world, the schemes of the enemy, or your own sin, it's going to be revealed. No one can hide. Do we think that God doesn't know what you think, what you say, what you do? But the kingdom of God's kind of hidden, especially in our world. It too will be revealed. Hidden things will be revealed. This is the word of God. This is what Jesus says. This is, he's giving us these things not so that we would be discouraged, but so that we would be encouraged. So that we don't stop and go, it's just too hard. People don't like us anymore. What are we going to do? You know what we're going to do? We're going to do what Jesus says to do. And that's what that little parable that gets no credit for being a parable right in the middle is all about. It says right here that that. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. I'm going I'm to tell you about my, my eighth grade English teacher, Mrs. Martin. Anyone here an English educator, an English teacher? Okay, I'm really sorry about my grammar some of the time. I'm from the South, but you know. But she taught me how to, Mrs. Martin taught me how to, how to diagram sentences. She also taught me the helping verb poem. Is, are, am, was, were, can, could, do, did, have, has, had, will, would, may, might, must, ought to, shall, should. These are the helping verbs so good. Add, be, been, being, and does, because those didn't fit. <laughs> She'd be really proud of me right now. I'm 50 years old. Still know what the helping verbs are. She's a great teacher. She was hard. I didn't like her. But she made us do the work. She made us memorize things. And she taught us how to diagram sentences. You know what? So I'm going to do that in a second. But I want, to, I want you to understand what I'm doing. There's a fulcrum. There's the fulcrum here. It, you know what a scale, the measure that you use, you know what a scale is, the old-timey scales? That they have a fulcrum in the middle. And it's, you know, there's a little pan over here, a little pan over here. You put a weight here, and, boom, and then you keep adding stuff over here until it levels out. That's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the measure that you use will be measured to you. Even more so. So what, what it was supposed to be is that let's say that this Bible weighs a pound. Okay, now they didn't use pounds back then, but everything was done by weight. Even money, how much the coin weighed was what it was worth. You put this over here, you say, this is a pound, it's more than a pound. But if you put that on the, on the scale and someone's trying to buy something or they're bringing and trading wheat or barley or vegetables or something like that, and you've got to, they say they have a pound worth and there's a certain amount of money you're going to pay them for that. You put that pound there and you keep putting stuff over here until it levels out. But a pound is supposed to be a pound. Some people cheated. And they took that little lead weight or that rock, that stone, or whatever it was, and they chipped things away. It said a pound 
Or they drilled down in and they made a hole and they put a little cork in it. Kind of like when people cork bats in baseball. They make it lighter. And so they cheat people. They say this is a pound and, they, and this is a pound. And so they're actually paying them less than they actually have there because they're making it sound like less is more. Now, you never do that because we don't have those kind of scales. We get on a scale and it says, one at a time, please. That's Pastor Greg's joke. I just had to use it. <laughs> we have different ways of measuring things, but Jesus, when he's talking to us, he's saying this. However you treat other people, I'm going to treat you. If you're dishonest, if you cheat, if you shortcut, if you try your best to get away from something, that's exactly how you're going to be treated. But if you're righteous and noble and honest, then God will treat you as such. He said it in other ways. He said, that, he said that if you forgive your brother when he sins against you, so my heavenly father will forgive you your sins. But if you do not forgive your brother when he sins against you, neither will my heavenly father forgive you your sins. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So here's, as we prepare for communion, communion is a means by which God gives us grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's also, whenever you have grace, there's mercy involved. Grace, not getting what you do deserve, mercy. Grace, getting what you don't deserve, mercy, not getting what you do deserve. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to boil this down, and I want to ask you to do me a favor. If this, partic <clears throat> this particular sentence does not apply directly to you, don't write it off and go, well, I don't deal with that. So boom, take the spirit of it. Have ears to hear. See what God is trying to say. Here's what he says. <clears throat> you will be judged with the measure that you use. Either my throat or someone else doesn't want me saying what I'm about to say. Someone hurt me. I want someone to hurt. So let's do it as a sentence. This, I want this person to suffer or to feel bad or to hurt. Because this person hurt me, harmed me, or made me suffer. Mrs. Martin would say that prepositional phrase is dependent upon the original phrase in the sentence. I want this person to hurt because, one of the most evil words in the English language, because they hurt me. So let's get rid of because. Let's take it away. Put it over there. I want this person to hurt or suffer. This person hurt or made me suffer. Does that balance? It seemed just, wouldn't it? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But what does Jesus say? Pray for those who persecute you. He says, love your enemy. There are four people in this world I know for sure hate me. They would qualify as enemies. They want harm to come to me and have actually, in, in part, actively pursued harm to come to me. So what does Jesus say? Tell me if this sounds like Jesus. This person has harmed me, so I want them to suffer. Because they've harmed me, I want harm to come to them. Does that sound biblical? Love your enemy. Do not return evil with evil, but evil with kindness. So, 
Let's get rid of this dependent phrase. I want them to hurt because they hurt me. Let's just take away the dependent phrase and deal with this. I want that person to hurt. I want harm to come to them or I want them to suffer. No because, no other reason, okay? Now, we might think, well, yeah, but we know. We know that they hurt. That per, you know, we, we know. I had spent 30 years with this with my dad, this back and forth. If I were talking about a puppy, I had a little golden retriever puppy in my hands. When I was playing with him before the service, he nipped me on the finger and scratched me and it hurt. I want to hurt this puppy because he hurt my finger. Is that okay? What if I started twisting the head of that little puppy? I know, I know. But why is it okay? Why is that like, oh, we can't have a puppy? What if it was a baby? Of course not. But see, we have an emotional response to that. But to someone who's done you harm, it's okay. No, it's not. It never is. Ever. Is it okay for me to say, I want harm to come to another? For any reason in Scripture? No. But Jeff Mannion tells us this. He says that a soul that feels ripped off can justify anything. And that's what we're after. I want this person to suffer because they've harmed me. They put their needs and ideas and hopes above my needs, ideas, and hopes. They were looking out for their own best interest and not mine. Therefore, I want to make sure the same thing happens to them. I want, the word for it is vengeance. But what does scripture say? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not for you. You will be judged with the measure that you use to judge. And I don't know about you, but that scares the living daylights out of me. If God treats me the way I treat those who have harmed me, I'm gonna, the measure that I use will be used against me and even more. And even if, I, if I'm doing everything right, he's going to bless me. But on the other hand, when I do it wrong, he's even going to take away what's good. Not my words. His, the fulcrum, the because statement of this whole, this whole chapter is the measure that you use will be measured to you. Even what you have, those who have will be given more. And those who do not have even what they have will be taken away. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to encourage you to remember that grace, getting what you don't deserve, is how God treats you. And because he treats you that way, that's when because isn't an evil word, we should show grace to others. God shows us mercy. He doesn't give us what we have coming to us. Therefore, we should show mercy to others. Even though, and especially those who you really would prefer if they hurt or died. Jesus isn't kidding around. And one of the reasons we don't see the stalk coming out of the ground, one of the reasons that we don't see the bushel being taken off of the lamp is because we don't act as if we're ambassadors for his kingdom. We play like grown-ups and hold grudges. Now, I don't know anybody in this room, I don't know anybody's story, anyone here that's like, I'm not going to forgive them. I, I, I don't know any of that. I just know that you're a human. I doubt there's anyone in this room that has no one that's ever harmed you. And so because it's a human condition, and because Jesus was human, and, but he's also God, he knew to say to us, hey, if you want to be poisoned, 
harbor bitterness. If you want to be reconciled to God and to humanity, forgive as I forgave you. In a moment, I don't know if the camera guys are going to follow me all the way over here or not, but in a moment, you're going to have these little plates going around. And we do have a gluten-free option. By the way, when we get to that, we always forget to say that when we're up there. When we get to the, if you need gluten-free, I'll be walking around. Put your hand up in the air. Don't do this. Because I won't see you. I don't have my glasses on. And it gets kind of dark in here, and I'm old. Okay? So just put your, but in a minute, these trays are going to go around. And you're going to be given an opportunity to take a little bread, the body of Christ, to take a little juice, the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. But I want you to take a moment. As your pastor, it's my job to tell you this. Take a moment. Examine your heart. And ask yourself, is the blood of Christ sufficient to forgive me my sins against God and others? I hope that you know that that's yes. But if it's true that it's it's sufficient to forgive you your sins against God and others, then it's also sufficient to forgive other people's sins against you. And if you take grace while harboring judgment, if you take grace and you want vengeance, if you take grace and you're still living in the because, then we're told in scripture that it's not going to go well for you. So that last word I'm going to say one more time. If the blood of Christ is sufficient to forgive me my sins against God and others, then it is also sufficient to forgive other people's sins against me. So take a moment. I'll offer you that time in the prayer to examine your heart. And if you've got someone that you're harboring a grudge against, if you're drinking poison, hoping they'll get sick, I'm going to tell you, it will never harm them. It will only harm you. Jesus calls us to forgive a brother or sister when they sin against us, not because it absolves them, but because it releases you from the power they have over you. A friend of mine told me the other day, I don't know if I ever want to have a relationship with this, this, my dad again. He said, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the relationship you have with him right now. Because you think about him all the time. You talk about him all the time. You're worried about him all the time. You're frustrated with him all the time. And you're angry at him all the time. He's not even there. And he gets to control. That person that you're angry with isn't even there. And they still get to control. When you forgive, when you let that go, you're releasing their power over you. You're not... And then you're, you're trusting God to do what's good and right and noble with that person. If they deserve punishment, God will give it to them. It's not for you to say. That's the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray, and in the prayer, there'll be 30 seconds. Just absolute silence. Examine your heart. And when that comes by, if there's someone that you're, you're bitter toward and you take it, you're saying to the Lord... When I do this, I'm letting it go. And if you can't say that, then take a pass. Let's pray. Lord, give us eyes to see even the hard things that we don't want to see, but the things that you want us to see. And give us ears to hear. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And Lord, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lord, we're going to take a moment, just a few seconds, to examine our own hearts, prepare ourselves to receive the grace that you have for us. Lord, show us if there's something we need to release. Show us if there's someone we need to forgive. Show us if there's grace we need to receive and show us if there's grace we need to offer. Lord, in our busy world, 30 seconds seems like a long time, especially for those people that are trying to hold back coughs. It just comes through. Lord, bless us. Prepare these elements. Whatever it is you do to them, do with them, in them, to make them a means of grace. We ask that you do that now through the power of your Holy Spirit. Hear our prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name, through the Spirit, for the glory of our Father. Amen. Let's stand together. You're not going to get sermon number two, but because of what we talked about and because of communion, I want to tie three things together for you. When a young man used to go propose to a young woman in Jesus' time, he would, there would be this little ceremony and he would put a cup in front of her and he would pour wine into it and he'd say, this is the cup of a new covenant. Take and drink. And if she drank it, she's saying, yes, I will marry you. So she's saying, I will love and honor you and share with you all that is to come for better, for worse, for richer, for poor and sickness and health through laughter and tears. I will be faithful to you as long as my life shall last. And when Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare, in my father's holy mansion, there are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I don't know when I'm going to return. Only my father knows. That's what the young man would say to the young woman. He would go off and he'd start to build on in his own father's house. And his father would, would tell him every day, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. But when it's ready and when he's ready, he would send him off to meet the, the bride, the one he had proposed to. And he would gather all his friends up. They'd go into the village and a horn would blow. And all the waiting maidens, all the women, women that were engaged or betrothed, would come out hoping it's their day. Hoping it's their day. And Jesus tells a parable of the ten virgins that, that they'd kind of given up hope. They stopped waiting. And he says, be ready. The kingdom of God is like a lamp on a stand. Hidden things will be revealed. It's like a seed growing. Even though we don't notice it, it happens. And you're going to be judged with the measure that you use. Be ready. When's he coming back? Tomorrow? Next week? Next month? Next year? I have no idea. But we should live like it's today. So be ready. The Lord bless you and keep you, and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. That's a look on God's face. God smile at you, and give you the peace that transcends understanding. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.